If tomorrow was your last day, would you feel as though you have maximized your potential? How would you describe your perfect day with no limitations? How can you work towards achieving something as close to this, if not exactly that? And what is your dream life? Where is it? Who's there with you? And what does your Saturday look like versus a Monday? These are some of my favorite questions from the What Fulfills You card game. And I created this card game with the intention to help you on your journey of personal growth, as actually all of these questions in this card game are questions that helped me in my own personal growth journey in my 20s. But even more than that, these questions help cultivate more purposeful and meaningful conversations, whether it's with your colleagues, your close friends, or date night. I love to play this on a night in with a few glasses of wine, or now that it is spring and summer season, I think it's just so fun to bring this with you when you're hanging out at the park, especially for my fellow New Yorkers who like to hang out in Central Park, have a cheese board, and just have some deep conversations. You can shop the card game online at whatfulfillsyou.com and since you are a listener of the show, you can get 10% off your purchase with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth. I'm your host. And I want to preface that today's episode, or this week's guest episode, rather, was definitely released a little later than the usual schedule. Uh, So for those of you who are avid followers and listeners of the show, and you're wondering, is this like, you know, one-off thing? Is it a normal thing? Yes, this is a one-off thing. There were some technical difficulties, but uh, able to manage through it. And I just have to say, I really, really enjoyed this guest episode and conversation because it was just one of those conversations that truly hits on every nugget that I would love to ask a guest about, especially in, in this case, she is the founder and CEO of SLT, which is a very well-known boutique Pilates studio. And it's definitely like a type of Pilates that I enjoy doing. Unfortunately, there's just not one in my neighborhood. So like I was telling her as well that um, the closest one is in Tribeca, which is a bit of a walk. And I often like to do my workout first thing in the morning. So (laughs) it's already a lot of effort to get up, you know, by 6, 6 6.30 a.m., but then to like walk. 15 minutes, (laughs) 20 minutes to get to the workout versus something that's closer like my gym on my roof or another Pilates studio closer. Um, But anyways, if any of you guys are listening who live in New York or there is an SLT studio near you, definitely I recommend it because it is a specific type of Pilates, which is more or less using a megaformer machine. And for me, it's just the best workout that really, really makes you feel it. Like you definitely feel it the following day, especially your abs, your glutes, everything. 
And I love that feeling because I know I did some good work. But yeah, I think you guys will really enjoy this conversation. And she's someone that just provides a lot of wisdom on business and getting through that entrepreneurial journey, as well as, of course, her dating and her personal life, which I always love, love, love when guests are willing to be open and to share a little bit about that part of their life because we are human and that is a part of how we experience life. So with that being said, let's welcome Amanda to the podcast. Amanda, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Of course. I am very excited to talk about a lot of things with you because you are a mom and you are a badass businesswoman. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, like everyone can look some up. Days, some days. <laughs> when I was looking through your LinkedIn, especially, I was like, holy crap. <laughs> like badass. Thank badass. You. Um, I guess I don't even know where to start because your your background is is really in- incredible. But I think I, I definitely want to touch on um, SLT Pilates and how you got started with that. Like, was it through your own personal journey with Pilates and wellness? Like, and I saw that you prior to that you were in consulting of some sort, right? Yep. So I'm assuming maybe you had your own wellness practice of your of your own, and then eventually uh, dove into it. What what was that? you know, expansion? Well, I, I like to say my career was a very linear path. So like one thing really leads to the next. And my first career, I was, um, the cool term for it was a cool hunter or trend forecaster. Okay. So I did market (laughs) research, consulting and trend forecasting. (laughs) And this was, um, I'm like, don't want to date myself, but (laughs) so long ago, like I started it over 20 years ago and it was an emerging area at the time. And we helped companies understand their consumers Mm. and create products and services that resonated with them. We were focused on the youth generations at the time, which were Gen X. Okay. Not so young anymore. I'm a Gen Xer. And then millennials. Yeah. And we were calling them Gen Y at the time. Then they became millennials. Uh, Yeah. The terminology always changes, but I did that and was very into the trend, naturally was very well into the trends and then was able to make it a career. And years into that career, I had, I had worked there for three years, went to business school and then went back to do it. Wow. Um, and so six years into that career, I wrote up what we call a macro trend. And we used to talk about macro trends and micro trends. Micro trends are like small things like, neon being in or the color purple being the color of the Mm -hmm. year. But what a macro trend is a bigger societal shift in the way people are thinking and behaving. And I created one that I was calling the rise of well consciousness. And this was a lot of years ago, um, 17 or like 18 years ago at the time. And it's hard to imagine that prior to 2005, wellness was not really a thing. People were health conscious, which really meant that they were like dieting and like like the food pyramid type of thing. Yes. Okay. That's what I think of when health conscious. Okay. Yes. So they were health conscious, but largely they were also waiting till something bad happened Mm -hmm. and then treating it. So we used to say they doctor Googled. So you'd have like a pain and you'd go online and see what you had and Mm -hmm. call the doctor and then deal with things once you felt like you had them. You weren't thinking preventative. Right. 
prior to 2005. And so in 2005, I wrote about a trend called the rise of well consciousness, which was things like uh, being gluten-free became more mainstream and vegan had was like such a bizarre word before then. And people really started caring about like the ingredients in their beauty products back Mm. then. Prior to that, you know, these things were not top of mind. I mean, yoga was very fringe before that. Um, And so when it moved into the mainstream in 2005, I became personally really interested in it as well. I was Mm -hmm. about to turn 30. And prior to that, I had been into the whole like restaurant openings and sample sales and like more consumption oriented in that way. Mm -hmm. And around this time, because I'm such like a trend person, I actually always am the trends too. I was shifting in the way I was thinking. And so I left trend forecasting to start a business called Vital Juice, Mm -hmm. which was a health and wellness daily email newsletter. So it was like a e-newsletter. It wasn't a juice company. I probably would have made more money if it was a juice company. But um, there had been our inspiration. I started with a partner had been another email newsletter that was wildly popular at the time, which was called Daily Candy. You were probably not even alive (laughs) when Daily Candy um, happened, but it was a very popular email newsletter. The business model was ad revenue. So Mm -hmm. it was like banner ads and Mm -hmm. dedicated emails, Mm -hmm. but they delivered the latest in um, sample sales and restaurant openings and all the more consumer-y topics. And my partner and I felt like there was this emerging market of women, mostly Mm -hmm. youngish, who craved the well-conscious information. So we delivered the latest in fitness, nutrition, beauty, and wellness into Mm. people's inboxes. And then we sold ads around the content to make the money. So it was free subscription, but paid for by advertisers. And so then I got very immersed in the health and wellness space. And Mm -hmm. that's when boutique fitness started to become a thing. Uh, And I loved the idea of boutique fitness, Mm -hmm. uh, this idea of like a studio that focused on one workout and was the best version of that workout and offered Mm -hmm. it all day long. So Mm -hmm. it was super convenient. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I didn't love the results that a lot of the workouts, there were only a few of these. Mm -hmm. And I didn't love the results that they necessarily got people. Mm -hmm. Um, Spin was becoming popular then. And I, I, I got parts of spin, but what I didn't understand fully Mm -hmm. was it felt like a lower body only workout Mm. where I wanted like this full body thing. And I wanted the Pilates body. Um, I wanted those results, yeah. but I wanted it in an experience of like a spin class. Basically, I was like, uh, yes. can we take this vibe right. and these results and put them together into one class offering? Mm-hmm. And that's where SLT came from. Oh, wow. Okay. And so at that time, then what was your experience with taking Pilates class? Like, were you trying traditional classes, like the traditional Pilates? I don't even know what is, is this just called traditional Pilates? Or? Yeah, Pilates, okay. Pilates. Um, because it's funny, like, cause I use the term Pilates pretty uh, widely, but at the same yes. time, I'm also, and I think most people do as well, but I'm also very aware of the distinct differences between like the traditional OG way yeah. and like then also my first time with, with Legree. So, like yeah. sometimes back then, as I told you earlier, like in college, I was like, it's like Pilates, but actually a little harder. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, what was, what was your experience with that? So, Prior to around the time of SLT, mm-hmm. there were no other, there were no Pilates classes, literally not, none. 
To do Pilates, you had to do one-on-ones okay. or duets, they called them. Okay. Those were really the only option. A duet was like two-on-one, you know, right, two right, clients right. in one. And so the experience is it's expensive. Yeah. It's hard to get an appointment because everybody wants that like pre-work, you know, like I needed to work out before work. Yeah. You try getting that one <laughs> of three Pilates spots at 8 a.m., you know, or 7.30. People yeah. had those booked forever. Yeah. And so it was expensive, hard to get on. And then when I did get the opportunity, I actually always felt like I had to work out again after. So I would mm. do a Pilates yeah. private and then get on like the elliptical machine yeah. or the treadmill because I felt like I hadn't worked up a sweat. Yeah. So I had a similar experience to you. Mm-hmm. I... Doing Vital Juice, I always went to LA and all of my, like, I say it, all of my inspiration comes from California. Yeah. All the wellness trends start in California. There are very (laughs) few that start here in New York or other places. And a friend had told me to try this guy, Sebastian Legree's studio Mm. in West Hollywood. And I went for the class and was so bad at this class. I cannot (laughs) tell you, like, my coordination was terrible, but Mm -hmm. I knew Within a minute of the class starting, this was exactly what I wanted. It was, to your point, it it was like high-intensity yes. Pilates. I mean, yes. we called it, and it's not PC anymore, but Pilates on crack is how it used to be um, <laughs> like described, but not PC or yeah, yeah, yeah. Pilates on speed. You know, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Ritalin, you could probably say. I don't know. Yeah. But um, that's how it, it was thought of back then, and I mm-hmm. was immediately enamored with it and my first thought was, how is this not in New York City? Mm. And that's always my mentality with things is like bringing them to New York or adapting. I, I say I'm like a copy entrepreneur. Mm. I'm not like an original, original entrepreneur. Okay. I, I copy ideas and adapt them. Right. Like, uh, you know, Vital Juice was like this thing, Daily Candy, but yeah. in a different space. SLT was bringing this amazing piece of equipment that I saw in L.A., to other markets, so to New York and mm. other places. And we've adapted the workout a lot over yeah. 12 years as well. Yeah. So um, that's uh, – so to go back to your question of Pilates, mm-hmm. um, once I saw this machine, I was like, yes, this is the cardio, strength training, and mm-hmm. Pilates all in one. This is – and it's the results of Pilates but in a much more dynamic experience that – Feel that gets your adrenaline going is yeah. feels like your one and only workout for the day yes. or even like for the next two days, yes. to be honest. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I didn't have a fitness background, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't as athletic as you. <laughs> uh, I, I was very into the idea of working out. I mean, even in college, I like joined a gym outside of sco- the school and would take mm-hmm. like classes. So I, I liked it, but I wasn't an instructor. I had no anatomy training. Okay. I had gone to business school. So at first, and I was running Vital Juice at this time. And uh-huh. so I tried to get some other friends of mine who were already in the fitness space to mm-hmm. like check out the machine and do something with it in New York because I really selfishly just wanted it as a workout for myself. Yeah. And when they both kind of rejected the idea, I mean, they were intrigued, but they had both said that it wasn't right for their companies at the time. I spoke to someone who owned a fitness studio in LA just to get a sense of like the time commitment and the things you have to do. Yeah. And she totally underplayed it. Um, now, you know, in <laughs> retrospect, it was like, I spend about three hours a day on it. It's not... And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm opening 
an exercise studio. So I was still running Vital Juice and then I opened SLT. Mm-hmm. And this was when, you know, Pilates started to have a new life. Like mm-hmm. the, the mega former were probably the f- first classes, Pilates based classes where they had more than two people on an instructor where, the, where uh-huh. there was a vibe. Yeah. And to your point, uh, that has totally blown up. I mean, the range mm-hmm. of Pilates is, I actually at our staff, we did like a manager summit recently at SLT mm-hmm. and I opened the whole day with, uh, one of those, just like a line where on one end was traditional, and I actually called it OG Pilates. So you <laughs> called it the same thing. I was like, yeah. OG Pilates on this end. And then I call the category that SLT is in and Solid Core is in and Body mm-hmm. Rock is in Better Reformer. That's like my made up name. Oh, okay. Because there's Reformer. Traditional Pilates True. is done on a Reformer. Reform. That's right, right. And yes. then I call all these other new machines that are like spiffed up, evolved versions. I call them Better Reformers because I personally think they're better yes. than the Reformer, but I they're think based so too. on it. Yes, yes. So then I have my whole like continuum of like traditional one-on-ones over here. And then there's other studios that do like reformer classes. Mm-hmm. And then there's studios that do reformer classes and they add like a ball, a band, a right, weights. Right, and then right, there's right. the better former studios, you know, who have like either the mega former or some sort of copy or, you know, a similar machine. And Pilates has just exploded. Honestly, it was starting to get popular mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, but post-pandemic, it was the one workout during the pandemic that you couldn't really bring into your home. Mm-hmm. And so then when we were able to come out of our home, yeah. people flocked to it. Really? Yes. What was that? I was I was definitely curious about that, too, because, you know, I, I remember I some places in at least because I was in L.A. at the time during the pandemic. And we were luckily able to at some point by like mid or fall of 2020, Certain places, there's this place called Carrie's Pilates in yeah, LA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I would go to that. I would drive from Venice to West Hollywood in the morning at like 6 a.m. Yeah. And um, we would do these classes outside yes. in like these tents. I did it. I have a picture of myself with a snow hat, my sunglasses on because the sun <laughs> yes. was coming up. Yes. A sweatshirt because it was freezing. Yes. And there was like a mirror. You did this in LA too? I went to Carrie's. Oh. I did it at Carrie's. You know, now her studio is half indoors, half outdoors. I figured they were going to expand They that. kept it. Yes. 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 And I didn't know I had booked an outdoor machine. Oh. And that's why I thought it was so... F- that's why I took a picture of myself. It's oh, like, okay. you come to LA to take... Yes. And I took the 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. because I'm on New York time. Yeah. And I, it was freezing and the sun's coming up. So I'm, I've got like... All the gear, yes. not like, knowing I was working out outside. Yes. So I did that. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. And yeah. even some mornings too, like it was a little moist. Um, yes. The machine. Yes. So um, yeah. I always say that no, New Yorkers would not accept that. Like if a New Yorker <laughs> walked into SLT and I was like, oh, your machine is outside. Because I didn't know my machine was outside. Yeah. Like I couldn't tell. Yeah. Um, I, I'm always like. And in California, they also, some of them do the workouts with the headphones on. Did you ever take a class where they didn't want to play the music out loud? I didn't, but I have seen. Actually, like, Carrie's, I think they did. I think I had the headphones, sunglasses, a hat, oh, and really? my sweatshirt. And I was like, this is like an only in LA experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Did you, so for then, I'm assuming in New York, because it's very different environments, you, you, you guys were just completely shut down. We until- were shut down for 12 months. A full oh, like 12 a full months. year. A full 12 months. So not until March 2021. 
Yeah. Did you reopen? Because and I actually was a big that big part of this fight. So what New York City did, which was crazy, and it was just in the city, mm-hmm. is they distinguished between gyms and classes, and they let gyms reopen. Uh, fall or, you know, late summer right. or fall. Yeah. And they did not let classes reopen uh, because they thought that you're closer together and there's yelling. They think there's like, there were people yelling, you know, when they were like analyzing what yeah. spread more <laughs> than others. Yeah. yeah. And so they had made this distinction and there was a group of which I was a part of. We even hired a lobbyist mm-hmm. in New York to fight this with the city, with the state. Yeah. And we didn't get ourselves reopened um, till I swear it was like March 23rd, 2021. But I will say oh, wow. most studios fi- figured out a way to just violate the ordinance for yeah. a little while. And we did like the six feet apart. Uh-huh. Uh, but we, unlike LA, there's not a lot of outdoor space. Right, here. right. That's so why. we couldn't really <laughs> fudge it in that way. And, you know, like rain, you can't put these amazing, yeah. like expensive machines outside yeah. for the rain. I don't, I don't remember what Carrie does. Like does they, had oh, they had a tent over. tent. Yeah. And it I was feel like here a tent would blow away. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, we like, we also had like a space over there too, because it was in a parking lot. So, you know, it's just, yeah, LA yeah. Is, is very different. And some people could do workouts on the beach. Like people got very yeah. creative. So in that sense, I was really lucky and happy to be in California during yeah. that time. But I moved here like August 2021. So I was I was yeah. just using LA as a buffer. For yeah. I was like staying there. I was like, all right, once I feel like I can experience most of New York, I'm I'm coming. I'm coming back to the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, you you waited till around the same time everyone else came back. I mean, I, I lived in we I relocated my family during the pandemic out to the Hamptons, the okay. beach. And we stayed a whole school year out there. So okay. I put my kids in school out there and we didn't come back till the September you came back August. I came back September. Yeah. Oh, okay. I remember it was funny too. I was interviewing uh, Kim Ross at the time. Um, she's the founder of Aura. Yes. And I remember this was like right, before, like right after Labor Day weekend. She's like, I feel like everyone's coming back this month. And I was so yeah. new to the city. I was like, this is great. This is great. I just yeah. moved here. Yeah. What was expanding like? Because I'm fascinated at what the cost and time looks like in expanding into different states and then multiple studios. Like, what was that process like for you? And at what point did you realize, you know, you might maybe need like outside funding if so? Um, and, and to actually do this in a way that was strategic for the, for the company. One of my biggest priorities is ensuring that I optimize my health every single day to the best of my ability in all areas, including mentally, physically, and emotionally. That also includes what I am eating and drinking every day because we know that does affect our energy. And so I ensure that I'm intaking healthy nutrients with the drink Magic Mind. And it's something that I've actually been taking for over a year now. If you've been listening for a while, you know they've been a longtime sponsor. And what Magic Mind really is, it is a productivity shot with nootropics, adoptogens, and matcha. Also, if you are not aware, there's a lot of health benefits with adoptogens, which I won't get into, but just 
just trust me, look it up, do the research yourself, and you will see what the long-term effect is of intaking adoptogens and nootropics. So how I take this, I typically drink it in the morning, take a sip of it, and you know, to be honest, sometimes I drink two, which is technically what we're not supposed to do, but they did say it is okay for me to do so, but they do recommend just taking one per day. And after I drink this, about 30 minutes in, I start to feel really focused calm and especially in flow that's just the best way i could describe it and for those of you who also love coffee like me you can drink it alongside with your coffee or before afterwards it really doesn't matter so it doesn't mean that you have to cut out coffee or anything because for me i actually still drink both but magic mind is really kind of that healthy kick for me and i just know the amazing health benefits that nootropics and adoptogens have if you are interested in trying they come in a box of 15 and i highly highly recommend just give it a try so you you can get 20% off your purchase with the code fulfill at magicmind.co slash fulfill. Again, that is 20% off your purchase with the code fulfill at magicmind.co slash fulfill. Yeah, so there's a lot, a few good nuggets in there because um, on the whole expansion in general, mm-hmm. and then I'll get back to my expansion, but I think expansion in other states in general, it's hard. And that's why most four wall, I call businesses that like have physical locations, four wall businesses. It's a very technical, you know, industry term. I think you will find that most four wall businesses that expand from state to state become franchises. Mm. They do not stay corporate owned because it's so hard to manage a business across the country from one location in the country. Right. It's the personnel. It's the understanding the market. It's being embedded in the market. It's having to have a big corporate staff to Mm -hmm. support it. Mm -hmm. And then does your profitability from the location support your corporate staff? Like there's so many, there's so much complexity to Mm -hmm. opening in other states. So like at one point, uh, we were in like 10 states, I think nine or 10 states going into COVID. So we had, mm. we had grown to 26 locations, um, before COVID shut all 26 of them down. Half 13 of the 26, as I said, had to be shut for a full year. Okay. Oh, wow. And, um, that, and we actually ended up, we also had like a cash situation. Like you never expected mm-hmm. COVID to happen. You don't expect to have to pay rent on 26 locations and have zero revenue coming oh in for an indefinite period of time. Right. Right. That we actually knew. I remember having an <sighs> early call with my partners. And at that point, we everyone thought we were going to be shut for two weeks for COVID. Right. right. And one of my partners was like, I think it's going to be a year. And you know, it was alarmist. It was negative, but it turned out, I mean, because of crazy New York rules, right. it actually turned out to be true. And so with that mentality, you have to make some really hard decisions because you're sitting on cash that was only meant to get you for one month. Right. And so I spent so much of my t- pandemic managing my leases, honestly, calling the landlords. What can you do for me? Um, and so wow. we ended up shutting down. Ten, nine locations during the pandemic. I think it was nine. Oh, um, wow. But to go back to happier times with the <laughs> expansion, when I started SLT, I did not think of it as like 
a business, honestly. I thought of it as I was opening an exercise studio, like mm. one exercise studio. Right. And so I was very frugal, which I still am, but frugal with branding, mm-hmm. frugal with the lease. You know, we didn't have high rent. We didn't put that much money into the space. We didn't even soundproof. I signed a short-term lease because I wasn't sure how it would do. Yeah. And I didn't focus on culture either mm-hmm. because, A, this was like 12 years ago. Culture was not as big of a buzzword. But yeah. again, I was opening an exercise studio. I wasn't like starting a business in right. my mind. Right. Um. And location one took about four months to get really get going. It honestly was all the like LA transplants okay. that started coming. And then okay. I hired a PR firm from like day one. That was mm-hmm. the one expense I had other than instructors mm. because I knew we needed the awareness. We were on the like seventh floor of a gallery building on 57th street. Like you would never have known we were there without, um, my PR, to be honest, like there weren't marketing channels. There was no class pass. Like Mm. it was Mm. all word of mouth and PR. And so we invited in all the editors, celebrities, and then word of mouth really helped grow the studio because largely because people would take SLT and they would get so sore. Like the Mm. first, second, third, fourth, the first few times you go, you get really sore, Mm -hmm. but in a good way, it's Mm -hmm. that like, oh, I worked muscles I never knew I had or yeah. I'm like sore in places I never been sore in. So once four months hit, it was very full. And hmm. I already was like, okay, we need a second location. Um, because we had spent so little on the first location, we actually right. made back the upfront investment like in four months probably. Oh, wow. Um And so it took me a little while to find my second location, which was Soho. But all we didn't have to put in any more money into the business to open two, three, four, five, six, seven, up to 12. I raised um, private equity. I brought in private equity partners and raised private equity capital. By this before Soho, like the Soho location? No, this was at location 12. Oh, so we got, by location 12 is once you brought in outside. Yes. Yeah, so okay. location one funded location two. Then all the profits from those two funded three. Then the got profits, it. you know, it just kind right. of, it, and it was, gr- it was very good. These businesses <laughs> back then, um, were good cash flow businesses. You know, people talk business wise about like, if you're starting a tech company, you're not, you don't have a cash flowing business, right? Right. right. Um, these were cash cows is kind of the, like, <laughs> one of the ways you say that where, you know, you're, you're investing upfront mm-hmm. and you're expecting profitability on a month to month basis mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And then you're expecting to pay back your upfront investment within like two years easily, mm-hmm. which is like a good, in general, in business conversations, if yeah. someone's like, how long is your payback period? And you say two years, most of the time they'll be like, great. We were, we had payback periods of like two months, three months. Oh, wow. This was early days fitness. This was when there's like not so much direct competition. We were the only like better former brand on right. the block. Right. Um, the competitors were more spin and boot camps and yoga and bar. Got it. But there really wasn't anything Pilates-ish in boutique fitness at this time. Mm-hmm. And so about how many years into the business? Um, it must have been like five years into the business mm-hmm. that I raised the private equity. So we were at location 12, 
took in money, sold them. They actually have a minority state, a big piece of the business, but mm-hmm. not a majority piece. Mm-hmm. And then we grew from 12 to the 26 I like, wow. can't remember, locations that we had at, at COVID. Okay. So <laughs> I feel like this needs to be pointed out too. At this point, how old were you? And how are you balancing other parts of life, like dating, friendships, and, you know, just the things that most of us girls need to do to kind sure. of just like yeah. keep the ball moving in other areas? Because, you know, as a business owner myself, it's very easy to get hyper focused on the the thing that is your passion about and the thing that you're seeing progress in. But how were you, I guess, in today's terms, um, finding balance yes. in other areas of life? <laughs> well, so... I had gone to Harvard Business School Mm -hmm. um, in between my trend forecasting years. And I took a class at HBS called Women Building Businesses. Mm -hmm. And the reason I took the class, I was not like into feminine. I wasn't like into women things at the time. I'm way more into it now. Mm -hmm. I took the class because it was the only class at Harvard, where you could do a business plan as part of the coursework, which is crazy. I mean, now I'm sure there's a million entrepreneurial classes where you can do that. But, but my, my takeaway from that class. So each, every class, it was, it probably met like once a week. We had a female who was a fortune 500 company CEO Mm -hmm. and she would come in and talk about her career. And then there'd always be a Q and A, and every time someone would, of course, ask her about her work life balance. That's mm-hmm. what we called it then. Yeah, <laughs> um, was her work life balance. And the way I remember it, my my business partner remembers it slightly differently. But I remember it as every single one of those women, when asked about her work life balance and her personal life, started crying. I am not kidding. I remember it as everyone. She says it wasn't everyone. But one of the women, because they had really? sacrificed their personal life to achieve all that they did professionally. Right. And it was they didn't have children or they have no oh, relationship wow. with their children or they were married many times and mm. just regret that they didn't put more time into the relationship. Whatever it was, it was something where like it was a trigger to use a modern word. Um, <laughs> that we didn't talk about that then either. Yeah. And one of the women had articulated it in her sex in her session as she had made the decision early in her career that she wanted to do less, comma, better, that she was going to focus on her career and be really good at her career Mm. at the expense of the other things. And Mm. so the last day of this class, uh, we were talking about our reflections and I raised my hand and I said, this class has made me less ambitious if mm. if running a Fortune 500 company means that I am going to miss out on these other parts of my life and I am going to regret it later in life, <laughs> then I don't want to run a Fortune 500 company. I said, my new life philosophy is more comma worse. I went the opposite <laughs> way of that woman. And I said, I want to have like all the experiences mm-hmm. and I don't have to be amazing at any of them. I just want them all. Yeah. And so that became my reigning philosophy, which brings me back to your question, which is I've never been the type that like just focuses on one thing. I'm always about like a bit of balance. Obviously, there are days where you just have to work all day. Right. But right. I, I rarely have like a week that I'll, I'll even do that. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I try to be very balanced as much as I can, even in a day or mm-hmm. like I'll like 
even when I have the busiest day and I, I'll still like work out and mm-hmm. sometimes I'll feel guilty about it. I'll like leave the office to go take a 1030 class and I'm wondering if everyone's like judging me and I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. This is a priority to me. Right. I'm going to do it. And so that was my philosophy from my like mid twenties on. Mm-hmm. And so it was always balanced. I'd see friends, I'd go out to dinner, I'd travel, um, I would date. Uh, and mm-hmm. I actually am not married. I have, t- I have two children. One, my f- daughter who's seven, I actually had on my own. So I, really? when I was 38, I always knew in my life I wanted to be a mother. I never okay. was the one who like, pulled out wedding dresses from magazines and Uh thought about getting married, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, I I just knew I wanted children. Okay. And so, you know, living in New York, you can go old. You can get old without, like, getting married, you know, finding someone. Right. uh, And there's not that much of a pressure, but you still have, like, your biological clock. Right. You know, there's obviously ways around that, too. But... I turned 38 and actually we were talking about Tony Robbins earlier. Mm -hmm. Tony Robbins was one of my like events right before I made the actual decision to just go have a baby on my own. But I turned Mm -hmm. 38 and I wasn't happy and I was like, I just need to have a baby. Like Mm. at that point, you don't even know how fertile you are. Right. You're already 38. Um, And so I made the decision just to do it on my own and Mm -hmm. found a sperm donor, made it kind of fun. I had another friend who was deciding to do basically the same thing at basically Mm -hmm. the same time. And Mm. we shared like an account at a sperm bank. It was almost like sharing an online dating profile. And Uh you're like, oh, we like the same guy. Great. (laughs) Let's like do it. Or, you know, um, Cool. Yeah, I think the sperm bank thought we were lesbians because we <laughs> shared an account, and that's like the only way that you could share an account was yeah. if you're like doing it together. Uh-huh. But um, so I had my first child at 39, mm-hmm. and I had had this on and off boyfriend for uh-huh. it'll be 20 years this like fall that we were like on and off, and he was in my daughter's life from like day one as. You know, interestingly, like the whole thing was bizarre, but Mm -hmm. as a father figure and then randomly like a year later, I got pregnant, I got pregnant naturally. Mm -hmm. And so we have a child together too. Uh Um, And he's the father to both of my kids, you know, like obviously not um, genetically to my daughter, but to my son. And uh, so I... Oh, All so, this sorry, stuff happened. How, how old were you? Sorry. How old were you for your second child then? I got pregnant at 40 and had him at 41. Oh, wow. And and that was like... completely by accident. And like we joke almost like an immaculate conception, but no, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but it was like, it wasn't like we were trying and yeah, it was just like crazy, like out of nowhere, crazy, uh, which is why I bring up, like, you never know your fertility. Right, and, right. Uh, for my daughter, I had done IUIs. Mm-hmm. I didn't do IVF. Okay. So I knew I was fertile-ish, mm-hmm. but I was, you know, 38 then, and, yeah. and this was 40. Yeah. So it's kind of surprising. But um, so now I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I've always – oh, and I, what I would say, I never took a maternity leave, which – Everyone should take a maternity leave if uh-huh. they want a maternity leave. It's, yeah. It wasn't right for me. Okay. Like, I couldn't step away from my business at either time, nor did I necessarily want to. I'm not the type that wants to, like, sit around and not that maternity leave is sitting around. There's <laughs> other stuff you could do. I was yes. fortunate to have a nanny, a baby yes. nurse. Yes. Um, but I also very – I tried the whole, like, 
breastfeeding at work or, I mean, you have to yes. pump regardless, but yeah. I tried the whole like working from home with a baby and it wasn't for me. So yeah. I very much was like separate. Everything was pretty separate. You Got know, it'd it. be like when I'm home, I don't do work. Mm-hmm. And when I'm at work, I don't do home. Right. You know? Right. And so that was my way of balancing is mm-hmm. like designating focus time to each thing, mm-hmm. but also not putting pressure on myself to be like mother of the year. Right. Um, and I also have like my boundaries. I'm big into sleeping alone. Uh-huh. I do not like anyone in my bed. And so I would like lock my kids out of my room. <laughs> like I have, we, I now live with my boyfriend. We actually didn't live together until even when we had a kid, we didn't live together okay. until the pandemic. Okay. And that was when we moved out to a house in the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. And then we got an apartment together post pandemic moving back here and we have separate bedrooms because I'm very, you know, I have my things that I'm specific about temperature, noise, like Mm -hmm. sleep with a sound machine. Like, yeah, I'm pretty inflexible about sleep. Uh huh. Um, and then, you know, and then the other things you have to be with kids, you have to be a little more flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I am so curious because I have never heard of a 20-year kind of like on and off thing. And for me, I think that's where I get very fascinated with the – like just the the unique – like like stories like that, right? Where I, it's it's funny because I I because I'm 26 and a lot of my girlfriends are between you know 25 and 30, some a little bit older, and you know sometimes I hear it's interesting, especially with today's generation. But a lot of them will talk about this uh, time clock, um, this fear of you know X Y Z, like the time you yeah. know and all these different things, and then also like finding this um, ideal partner and and all of that. And I've always kind of just been an observer. I'd never really had a strong like this is in in that regard whether it's like marriage children all that I never had a strong like this is the time I want it by and this is the type of partner and all that and so but that's why I I like to learn from people that have a maybe less conventional path to that experience and I'm just curious like what's your reflection on maybe why you you have been in this 20-year on-and-off thing with this person. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 
96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. <laughs> um, it's probably like worth a lot of therapy sessions, <laughs> but I think... We've always been had like a con a connection and mm -hmm. been drawn to each other, but it's definitely an imperfect relationship. And there right. are things about him that like are big no's for me uh -huh. and things about me that are probably big no's for him. And that's probably why we had these off thing, you right. know, it'd be like that doesn't work for me and we'd break up and then we'd just be like drawn back together again. Yeah. And people ask like, are you ever going to get married? And I said, never to him. Really? Uh, yeah. Like we're just not, I, I feel like it's almost like we've been married for 20 years right. to be honest. And like, I doubt there are that many couples that have been married 20 years that would do it again right now. You know, like right. they almost like know too much. Yeah. And so we just know it, you know, you kind of have to be, I think, a little like naive and mm -hmm. like love blind mm -hmm. to do some of, you know, to get married. Yeah. It's like a crazy thing in some ways. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's not that either of us wants to be with someone else, but neither of us feels the need to. I also think it's complicated to intertwine more and more things in your life because then you have right. more and more to fight about or yeah. that's how I look at it a little bit yeah like our money is not mingled together mm -hmm. you know we have our our system with how we pay for kids expenses yeah but I buy my own like he has no say like it doesn't matter how many boxes of shoes come to the house like uh -huh. he can comment on it but he doesn't pay for any of them yeah. so it's really not his business yeah and that helps honestly yeah I've always heard so actually I had a financial person on my podcast and she was a she's female and she actually mentioned that too is it's important if like in if you're married or you're just in a long-term partnership that as a woman you have your own play money like yeah. she specified like it's because that and my mom always kind of made a comment too like you know dad sometimes complains about like me purchasing this like even though it's my own money yeah and I always kind of made note of like okay certain people are saying you got to find a way to separate certain things and, yeah. and kind of have your own control or say in that area yes yeah. and I mean the stereotype is that the man pays for everything and then you right. hoard your own money right that's your side money but i mean that's a nice situation but not you know there's right. a lot of relationships where the woman makes more than the man or right. um or there's no like again our money is not commingled it's mm -hmm. more like we put in the same amount of money every month to pay for our nanny and our groceries yeah. and then anything that's for him yeah i have no knowledge of and no unless i see a box you right. know like, <laughs> and same with anything that's for me yeah. he has no knowledge of other than what he sees coming in so for us that works well because yeah. we're very different on money we're also right. 
in some ways, polar opposites. Like I am an open book. I'm telling you everything. Yeah. He would cringe at this conversation. <laughs> you know? Yeah, my mom would too. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of the reasons I'm like, we're not going to get married, um, but it's working at least so far. <laughs> See, but I like that you share that because I feel like, especially with this modern day approach to dating, a lot of people seemed, especially I see it on social media all the time, is like, people would describe that as red flags, like the things that you're saying, like, oh, these no's, okay, that's a red flag, then you should date other people. And, you know, maybe more or less cut them off at some point, or like, don't give them the time of day, all these things. And I've always had a lot of question marks about how worthwhile that approach is, is because it seems like you're like, people often say that with such certainty that I don't think there's actually that much certainty about. Well, that's a very black and white. What you're saying is that's a very black and white view. Yeah. And I live in the gray. Right. 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 It sounds like you're more apt to see gray. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like always that advice is like, girl, if he doesn't appreciate this, Right. right. You walk away and it's like, Honestly, I have a lot of single friends, a Uh lot. I am 46. Uh I have a lot of single girlfriends and they're happy and, you know, whatever. And I'm not saying anything negative about it, but like if they had been seen more gray, if some of them had seen more gray 10, 15, 20 years ago, they might not be single. And again, like there's nothing right. These are women who want to not be single. So I'm not judging them, but they would love not to be single. Yes. And if had they seen more gray when they were younger, I think they would have ended. It it could have gone differently. Yeah. If you're so like set in your ways and black and white, Mm -hmm. I think it's tough. Do you think it's because they, they were almost looking and or partially expecting perfection. And so if they didn't see that, they were walking away per se. Yeah. or they And they found that like one thing that drove them crazy and focused on it. Yeah. Or, you know, they were so set on the person has to be smarter than them mm. and more educated. And it's like, these are well-educated, very smart women. Like, yeah, I don't know how many people are going to fit your bill of like hot, Right, smart, <laughs> rich, yeah. like, but that's know. the thing. A lot of New York girls are saying that right now, yeah. and that's why I, to me, I've always told my girlfriends too is, you know, don't even come to me for feedback or advice. Like, go to women 20, 30, 40 years older than you. No joke, because yeah. they will tell you things that they wish their 25 year old self knew. Yes, and you can learn a lot from people that have lived double your life, you totally. know, or like your entire lifetime, um, and more. So, uh, to me, I've, I've always been very mindful of how I approach that because I think later on I see a lot of the the regrets I hear people say are somewhat around that is you know maybe wishing they were more understanding to a certain partner that it could have worked out and I've actually heard stories of people getting married and then divorcing and then actually back with someone that they were with in their 20s yeah. that they honestly kicked themselves for not having gone for that in the first place yeah and yeah. so that to me, it gets to me because I'm like, damn, I, 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 I want to be mindful of, you know, how much is a red flag? I completely walk away black and white and how much is just, you know, timing and understanding and, and letting it play out type of thing. Yeah. And I think you can come up with your deal breakers, but everything doesn't have to be a deal breaker. Like mm-hmm. nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfectly matched. And I also think even some things where it 
you may be like, that is a deal breaker. But if they have every other thing, like mm-hmm. maybe try to see if you can live with it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I'm curious. So especially for you as a, a, a successful woman with, you know, your own businesses, I, I see because we, we talked a little bit about how like some especially depending on like the generation, sometimes it's like us females expecting men to be or like serve as X, Y, Z in our life. And I feel like my mom always expressed this to me. She was always saying, well, you know, how is a man going to be a certain way if you're going to be that successful? Right. Right. So I'm curious from your perspective and or even advice on that is how have you been able to, I get, I guess, uh, have certain needs of yours met um, without having to sacrifice or kind of push down any of your more, I I call it a little bit dominant energy because I I see it as a natural thing of mine. But my mom always was like, well, if you're, if you're going to be that way, some, if not a lot of men are going to be intimidated by you or they won't be able to serve you in a certain way. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts and experience are on that. Well, I mean, that's exactly our situation. So I have, right. I'm the dominant one. Right. He, <laughs> I work in an office. He works from home. Mm-hmm. He invests like mm-hmm. he's, I'm ambitious. He just wants to be comfortable and right. likes routine. Mm-hmm. I like change. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably the reason that's one of the reasons we're not probably married and we were on and off because I also was like, I want to be with like a big successful man who right. makes more money than I do and is right. more successful than I am. And that's one of my hangups. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, and, but people look at it and they're probably like, oh, if you were with someone like that, it wouldn't work. Like you'd be on their schedule. Like they wouldn't be on your <laughs> schedule. Like you couldn't handle that. Like I, yes. one of my closest friends, she has, she's pretty type A too. Like yeah. We, we, she's, um, I'm not going to say who she is because I'm on a podcast. <laughs> but, uh, and she married like, a very successful person, like so successful. Mm -hmm. And it's like the world according to him a little bit. And she's had to like chill in that respect, like knowing she doesn't have control over like when they go where. And, Mm. um, but then she has, she'll like exert her control over her kids instead. You know what I'm saying? And then I have another uh, (laughs) entrepreneur friend. She's wildly successful. She had been engaged, broke off that engagement, and then married a guy who is like a stay at home. Uh huh. And I've talked to her about it because it kind of, it like fascinates me. And right. she's like, it works for me. She's like, it's perfect. It couldn't have worked another way. So there's like a self aware power yeah. woman who didn't feel like she needed a power man mm. too. Mm. And like, you know, I was like, that's, awesome that you identified that. Yeah. And I don't know if she was about to marry someone who was different and then didn't. And right. Um, but that it's something like I actually really respect in her that she didn't need like the guy to f- fill her ego. You know, she's yes. like, cause yes. in some ways it's probably like, you know, I, I respect, I grew up respecting people's accomplishments and mm-hmm. people's like education. My parents came from poor backgrounds. Mm-hmm. My dad, like, put himself through and got a great education. And so he was always about like achievement and Mm -hmm. success Yeah, because he came from not, you know, he was like this rags to riches kind of thing. I'm Mm -hmm. not like riches, riches, but self-made. Right. And so like 
that's what I am drawn to or like think I would be drawn to. Uh And but then in the end, does that work for me? Because I'm so motivated. Like, would it be a problem if there's two people so like controlling and motivated and so, right. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's all complicated and I don't see a therapist, but if I did, I'd probably be able to articulate the whole thing much better. So would you say then your partner is like not as type A? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I used to tell my friends that, I don't know if you ever watched the show Suits, but, um, there's this main character named Harvey Specter and he's very like type A, ENTJ personality. And I always thought that that would be someone I would end up with. And my best friend from college was like, well, Emily, the only problem is like, you're like that. So it's like two fire personalities that, you know, and so interestingly, I remember over the years, I I dated guys that were dominant by nature, but like their career, like I would say in the past, it might have been like me dating like lawyers or guys in finance, the typical. And then over time, I started dating guys maybe more in like arts, like they were in film or they were like a writer or whatever. And it was interesting because I saw the complimenting attributes of me, someone with my personality dating someone like that and how it, it complemented well versus us butting heads. Yeah. And that's why I was just curious for you, like if, if that if you saw that in, in your friends and in your case as well, because um, I think it, it takes a self-awareness to know that. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I think that's been a thing with my friends. So I have a few friends who also actually marry later. Mm-hmm. Um, and two of my most successful friends mm-hmm. um married tennis pros oh really Uh, yeah and like it sounds it's kind of like that um trite uh thing where like women end up marrying their tennis pro like as their (laughs) second husbands yeah (laughs) but it's surprise you know i think it this one's like a huge lawyer like huge Mm -hmm. the other's a huge fashion exec and you know, you think they're very different personalities, but it works so well. It wouldn't have worked any other way. Yeah. You know, and like their husbands are busy six months of the year, like crazy busy six months of the year, like not around at all. Yeah. And then the other six months of the year, they're not at all, you know? And, And these are women who are like nine to eight, you know, they work like nine to eight, like power people and two of them. And they're like, we're, they're close friends with each other. And it just kind of makes sense. You're like, ah, that is, I see it now. Yeah. You know, it makes sense, but you don't think of it as like an obvious fit in advance. Right. Right. And, and I have to say that out loud too is like, that's why I'm fascinated to hear from people with that actual experience, especially women that I see have like similar traits as me. Like, what typically works for you guys, you know, because I think there is a, a psychology, like a, like a yin yang effect yes. to that, you know, um, and then I, I, me just hearing stories like that, it helps me just observe it and quietly like process it internally. Yeah. And I mean, you, you call it type A, but to be a tennis pro, you had to be so disciplined yes. and so good at tennis. Yeah. Um, that like there is some of the like there is some of it in there. True. You know what I'm yes, saying? So yes. you have that commonality. It just manifested very differently. Correct. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would say that too, because I I always knew for me 
I could not be with someone that was quote unquote a pushover yeah. because it it would be very unappealing to me. It wouldn't work with a relationship dynamic. But I noticed with past guys that were not maybe like a lawyer, which would used to be like a, ironically a typical trait of a guy I used to date. But I, I noticed with the other ones, they were alpha per se or dominant like they, they had this initiative in them based yes. on their own background whether they were a former athlete but now they pursued a career in arts or something or, or whatever it is but they had that discipline and, and that that worked with me understood my mentality but they express it differently yes. Yes. so I felt like me dating other entrepreneurs or anyone in business uh, or like very high in their field sometimes they got competitive with me. Right. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. That's good. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. It's hard to find the the mix. Right. It'd be easier if you were very passive and just needed to I, identify someone who wasn't. Yeah. Know? So you, you mentioned with the guy you've been with for on and off for 20 years, would you say in reflection of all that, is, is connection something... How many times have you had like such strong connection with someone like that? I don't know if you guys, either of you dated anyone in between during yeah, your we off. Did. Okay. Cause that's always been something too is, um, I had a recent breakup like seven months ago. And I remember even with us, we, we still talk, but I remember describing it to friends who some of them have never been in a relationship yet. And I was telling them, you know, people often say there's a lot of fish in the sea. There's a lot of options and all these things. But I do have a strong question mark around how many significant connections do you have in life? And so I'm curious from your perspective. Well, and I think, I think there are are a lot of people you can connect with, but some of them will be friends. Some of them will be, right. you know, like romantic, ro romantic yeah. and some won't be. And I think there's validity to both, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, I've probably, you know, none in the way that I connect with Mike, who's, mm. you know, the father, uh, you know, the person I live with, you know, my baby daddy, my lover, you know, I don't know. There's no good word because I call him my boyfriend and yeah. people, it like drives some people crazy because we've been on and off for 20 years <laughs> and I call him my boyfriend and he's in his early 50s. It like yeah. sounds kind of trivial, yeah. but um, so nothing obviously like that. But I, I'm the type that stays friends with my ex-boyfriends. Oh, interesting. So I have some like really good relationships still with ex-boyfriends. And so I would say, and he's friends with some of my ex-boyfriends. Oh, wow. So I, I haven't seriously dated that many people and pretty much all of the ones that I did, uh -huh. I still have some sort of connection with. Okay. But I think I have the, I don't. I think because to your point, because I feel like how many people do you connect with that way? Right. So why get rid of that friendship? You know, like it's right. special, you yeah. know, and if you can make it a friendship, just a friendship to me, why not keep it? You know, one mm -hmm. of my ex-boyfriends I went to college with, so mm -hmm. I'll see him at my reunion next mm -hmm. weekend and I'm looking forward to seeing him, but I'm friends with his wife. Mm. He's friends with Mike. Uh, my my college boyfriend, literally I was texting with, he just moved to Tribeca mm. and I, we haven't seen each other yet. And we're mm -hmm. like, when are we hanging? And I'll see him at the reunion too. So <laughs> I actually have had a few where like, even now I'll look at the person and be like, we never could have been together. Okay. But like, I'm like, but I love him. You know, he was okay. like a big part of my life. And uh, so I tend to be the like hold 
like keep relationships with my exes. I mean, that's how I'm probably with one of my ex. You know, I joke that he's like oh. my ex. You know, mm. my current is my ex. But yeah. like we had dated five years, broke up mm-hmm. in 2008. And then I say we've never dated since. I mean, we live together and everything right, else because right. everything else just kind of happened. Right. You know? So I say, like, he's, like, the ex that I talk to the most. <laughs> <laughs> How long was that gap then in 2008 oh after you guys broke up? Because it's I, mean, I had my daughter in 2015. 2015. But we okay. were, like, on and off. Like, you know, we'd hook up. But we weren't date. We didn't date again. Like, from 08 to 15, I don't think we dated. We'd like have our thing, you know. Right. It's like weird. It's weird. Yeah, it was yeah. weird. It was always weird. Yeah, yeah. No, it's but it's, it's interesting to me because I feel like it's from, that gray. Yeah, it's it's so gray. And sometimes I like I I would I don't know maybe get like in my head about it if I was in that position. And I'm sure I did. Yeah, but, yeah. But I feel like you don't sound like. But I just kind of went with it. Yeah. And I th- I think. You know, what would I tell myself? Yeah. Um, What I would tell myself back then is, like, I should have dated a lot more people. Okay. I should have had, like, way more fun. Like, I would have been crazy. I would have made out with, like, everybody. You know, in retrospect, I would have been like, (laughs) you're cute. Let's go out, you know? And I wouldn't have gotten so upset about all the break, like, especially with him. I mean, I was devastated when we broke up in 2008. You know, I thought I was going to end up with him back then. And then when you break up, it's like, right. I never thought I was going to marry him. I actually, I actually thought we'd just get pregnant, like kind of on purpose. <laughs> and it would happen because he's an indecisive person, to be honest. Oh, and that's like one of my tough. things. That's yeah. Tough. Um, and so I got upset, like a lo- really upset various times. And it's like, it'll, like if I had told myself it'll work out one way or the other, either with him or without him, it'll work out. Then I wouldn't have been like, I had to go on like antidepressants yeah. and like, you know, I moved into this bizarre apartment because we had lived together and I quickly had to find somewhere. And it was like dark days. But if I knew wow. that it would work out, you know, if I knew it would work out with him, obviously I wouldn't be upset. But just to know like it works out like in the end, like yeah. I would have been like, okay. Let me try dating someone else, you know? Were you surprised then to see you guys be able to come back together after having those dark days? Like, and like thinking like, okay, there's this person more or less out of my life romantically. I mean, in some ways, yes, because that's why it's like, because the issues that were there are still there, right? Like, (laughs) they were deal breakers at the time. And now we just live with them, you know? Yeah. Now we live with them. But I think everybody, I think everyone has issues with their partner. Some of them they're more aware of at the mm-hmm. beginning. Some of them you're not aware of because you've got these like love blind glasses on where you think they're like the cat's meow right. <laughs> and they come out like a year two, five. They come out when you have kids. Sometimes mm, it's like, oh, that's true. We don't, this is not a person I want to parent with. And now I'm stuck parenting with them. You know, it's right. what happens to people are like, we're not on the same page about parenting or we're not on the, you know, or you only experienced like good times. Yeah. And and now you're like, oh, we do not handle bad times mm, well. Yeah. But like we we knew everything, but you know, we're not married. Like, yeah. like we've lived it all and we know it. We know it all at this point. Yeah. I mean, there's but it's not like th- those problems are magically solved. Right. They're all still there. Yeah. 
I, I think it's actually it's ironic. Like yeah, I, I've always heard that quote, like, you know, when you're in a committed marriage or relationship, other people might seem more novel and appealing, but everyone you choose to be with has their own flaws that yeah. come with it. And you just have to choose which one you will live with. It's like the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. And we yes. talk, we say that with contractors in my industry. Oh. Like <laughs> contractors have like a terrible reputation. And mm-hmm. uh, when you have four wall businesses and it's like, you always usually hate your contractor, but it, we, we, Use that we keep using the same contractor because you're like, we know the problems. Mm-hmm. Whenever we've strayed and gotten a new contractor, it's like you think it's going to be better and you just have a whole new set of mm. things to be upset about. And yeah. So sometimes just like the devil you know is better than the one you don't know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, one final question, and it's something I ask every guest on the show. But in reflection of everything you've experienced, your relationship, now being a mom, what would you say ultimately fulfills you in life? Um, I mean, I am fulfilled by – I'm very professionally fulfilled still. And mm-hmm. I keep like a diary, mm-hmm. like a date book where I like write down the things I have to do. And I find great fulfillment in getting the stuff done mm-hmm. that I have to get done in the day and crossing it off. Um, but, you know, so cur- professionally, it's the achievements of things, mm-hmm. um, build, having built this business and employing all those people. And then uh, personally, I'm fulfilled by seeing my children happy and like being able to snuggle with them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. at night and sometimes in the morning. And so I find dual fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also someone who needs the like friend, you know, I need it yeah. all. I yeah, need yeah, the yeah. like going out to dinner and a little culture and <laughs> all of that, the personal fulfillment too, that has nothing to do with my kids or yeah. my job. <laughs> so a lot of things. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank Where you. can everyone find you, SLT and um, all the states that SLT Pilates is in? Sure. So I'm at Amanda Hope Freeman on Instagram and SLT is SLTNYC.com or on Instagram. And then I also have this business Stretched that uh, you should come check out, uh, Mm -hmm. which is Stretch Space, where we stretch people out. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. That will be linked in the show notes. And yeah, thank you again. Thank you. And that was all for today's episode with Amanda Freeman, founder and CEO of SLT Pilates. Don't forget to check it out if you live in New York City or if you have one in your area. And if you enjoyed this conversation, definitely share this with a friend on your Instagram story. And if you do share online, definitely tag the podcast Instagram at what fulfills you. And my personal one at Emily E. Duong so I can see who's tuning in and also reshare with the rest of you guys. And don't forget for all of the fun podcast merch, especially the best-selling card game, you can find all that at whatfulfillsyou.com. And for the 10% code, you can find that in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in. I will chat with you all next time. Are you currently in college or recently graduated but kind of struggling to figure out how to approach your post-grad life? If so, then I have the perfect guide for you, which I created for my college self in mind. That is the Everyday Girl's Guide to Career Success ebook, which features a holistic approach to all things starting out in your career during and after college, from cultivating the right mindset, building your resume, 
maximizing your LinkedIn profile and network, and so much more. I take you through a personal step-by-step guide on how to prepare for all areas needed when searching for a job. And these were actually many steps that I personally did between my sophomore and senior year of college, as well as the first year out of college. So I always highly recommend to start early to create opportunities for yourself. In this ebook guide, you will find cover letter tips and custom templates available for download, resume building steps with three custom templates LinkedIn tools and step-by-step guide on maximizing your profile, top 20 behavioral interview questions, and a lot more. Again, you can find this online at whatfulfillsyou.com. Just make sure when you click shop, just go to all products and you will find the ebook there or just go to the show notes and it will be linked.